Lord. God, I would just thank you, God, that you are a, an amazing God that wants us to have fun, God, and a God that loves us so much, God, that you just were willing to die for us, Lord. So, God, I just pray that we just meditate on your word, God. We meditate on the cross, God, and what you did for us, and we thank you for each day that you give us life, God. Um, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Yes, he's waking us to life. 
Of the 
take for granted the fact that you meet with your people and you meet with us individually as well as collectively God and this is your church and you love her and that you died for her and you were willing to give yourself up for her and you encountered the cross with joy the joy set before you may we not take that for granted Lord we love you God in this place and I pray that every person here takes into account that you did it for them. And that every moment with you is better than every moment we had without you. And that we get to live with you forever and ever. And all God's people said amen and amen. And give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Give him a shout. Say hallelujah. For the king is among us. Amen. Hallelujah. You guys can take your seats. I am Jerry. I am one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise, and I just want to take this moment to just share the good news with you today. If you guys don't know what today is, I'm going to remind you that today 
is 9-11. And that 15 years ago, we endured something that would forever change our lives. Some of you weren't even born when this happened, and others of you can remember exactly where you were. When you reflect or you see a picture of the Twin Towers, you can remember exactly where you were, exactly what time you found out and how you found out and how it rocked your world. And I can tell you for a fact that the way that I woke up that morning was my boyfriend calling me saying, we're being bombed! And just watching in horror. Over 2,000 people lost their lives that day, and it's still affecting people to this day. And the war on terror hasn't ended. But we have a good God who serves in heaven, who watches over us. And I want to go to our scripture as I preach the gospel to you. And we want to pray for our nation as well as, as for just repentance over ourselves. And it says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Oh, how beautiful on the mountains. How beautiful on the streets of Chicago. How beautiful on the highways and byways are the people who bring good news. And the good news is is that joy of salvation. It's the message that says Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Repent and be forgiven and live for him for all the days of your life. And you will have eternity with him. Because God is a gentleman. He's not going to force you to be with him. If you didn't want to serve him here, why would you want to serve him in heaven? And so the good tidings is that you get to be with him. You get the joy of repentance. I tell you what, at this altar, I gave my life to Jesus and I said, I just want peace in my heart. I want peace in my mind. I want peace in my life. I want to love you more. And when I heard the word, the the gospel being spoken about how Jesus suffered and died for my sins, that I didn't have to be the girl that danced on the bar. I didn't have to be the girl that got got drunk or or did those mischievous things. I could be new. I I could go back and be the woman I always wanted to be. And that's God's promise for every person here is that the good news has come so that you don't have to go about your life the same as you did yesterday, that today is the day of salvation, that you can say, Jesus, I want my life to be changed. I'm not looking back. I'm putting my hands to the plow and I'm going forward to my future with you. And that is the promise. Because from that day forward, I was never the same. And I could not go back and do the things that I had done before. I was new. I didn't keep repeating sins after sin after sin, saying, I'll just get it together someday. I'll just get it right someday. Because that day, it changed. And I said, never again. And never again did I go back to fornication. Never did I, again did I go back to drunkenness. Never again did I go back to wicked relationships. Never again. And today could be your never again. And have the joy of your salvation that you could have peace that you can have salvation to move forward in your life. And you can say, my God reigns in this place, in my heart, in my soul, forever and ever. And so I just want to pray with with all of you, and we are going to have a couple prayer workers um, during our fellowship time. And if you need to get your life right and you need to say, never again, 
Lord, will I turn my back on you? Will I go back to my wicked ways? Will I do the things I did the day before? Because you have given me the joy of my salvation. And I can say that my God reigns. So if you guys all would just bow your heads and, and close your eyes. You know who you are. You know what you're going through. Just be real with God. Lord Jesus, we come before you. And we just thank you for who you are, that you are the God that reigns, that you are the God that is sovereign. And Lord, we just, we repent for ourselves, but we repent for our nation that has turned against you, that has turned away from you, that has turned away from the things of God. Lord, we want to lift up our nation. We want to lift up every broken heart that was hurt on 9-11. We want to lift up this, this war on terror, God, because in that moment we were at war, even when we didn't know who did it, God, we, know we, we knew we were at war. But those of us who were saved, those of us who trusted in you said, I don't know what's happening or, or what's going to happen next, but I know that my King of kings and Lord of lords is sitting on the throne and he is going to get us through this. And God, you said if any nation would repent, the, the people who are called by my name would turn and repent. I would heal their land. I would bring the rain God, we want that to happen in our nation. God, we lift up Chicago. We lift up D.C. We lift up politicians and rulers and leaders, God. And we submit them to your authority, God, because we know it's you who puts them in place and you who take them off their thrones. But every knee will fall before that lion. Before you, Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord God, and I pray in this place that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that you are the Lord of their life, not living in repeat patterns of sin, but breaking free from those chains and living holy and godly lives that are pleasing to you and that they will see you in heaven and that you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Jesus. We lift up this time to you, God, and every person in here. And we just pray this all in your mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for he is good. He is good. Hallelujah. He is good. All right. I want you guys to stand up with me. We are going to go through our confession of faith today. This is our Christian worldview. We say it every week because we believe this. The early disciples believed it, and the disciples that come after us are going to believe it because it's what the Word of God says. So on the count of three, we're going to recite this together. One, two, three. I believe in one God and Creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor. Give somebody a high five. Say, I love seeing you here. I love seeing you here.
Welcome, welcome everybody. I want to invite you guys to come on down. Um, hi guys, I, I, again, I am Pastor Jerry. I am one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise. We want to, just on behalf of the staff and our fellowship, we just want to say welcome to Metro Praise. We just love you guys, love seeing your faces. Thank you for making this your home church today. Uh, we also have two services on Sunday, so if you guys feel like waking up early, you can join us at 10, but we love seeing you at 1 o'clock. Um, you guys make this place happen, and we're just, we're just so happy you're here. Um, we also have a Friday night service. It's called Elevate. That's what's up. Friday night at 7 o'clock from 11 to 18 years old. Dude, our young people are just blowing it up. We have like 60 to 70 students every week. Man, um, they're just doing it for Jesus. They're young people who are on fire. So if you know anyone, you better send them there. Amen. And I just want to get you guys excited for what's coming, all right? So again, Elevate is taking over a Sunday, okay? So we're going to have an Elevate service so you guys can really see what's going on. We also want to get, just pray with us. We want to see our youth bring their parents, their families. So September 25th, everybody say September 25th, East Sunday. All right, so we're going to have that at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. So you guys won't miss out if you come to the 1 p.m. service. Just make sure you come. And uh, we're just so, so excited. And I just want to get you guys just connected and, and tell you about who we are as a church. We are loving God, loving people. That is our vision, okay? So our vision we have a strategy. It is to connect, mentor, and send. We want to connect you to life groups where there is life at life groups. Everybody say life at life groups. We don't get small at small group. We get life at life groups. And so we want to connect you. There's just not enough that we can connect with you on a Sunday morning. This is how we get invested in your life. This is how we know what you're going through. This is what God talks about, about being the church is to connect with others in the body of Christ and live life together. And we do that at life groups. We wanna mentor you with our 101 and 201 and we wanna send you out to change the world for Jesus. And how we do this, 100,000 disciples, this is our goal, 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. If you guys believe we can do it, say amen. Amen. So we're going to give you a snapshot of what's going on this week. Sunday, today, we have Single Moms Life Group. They meet at that address at 5.30. Any single moms, invite them there. Wednesdays, King's Kids, 0 to 11 years old. Bring them here. They meet 6.30 here at the church. Thursdays, we have our gang outreach. If you need and want any information, you can talk to Ulysses back there. And he is going to help you guys know what's going on and how they go about doing it and where they target. But they are targeting and, and just going for gang members. And they meet here at the church. Friday night, we have two adult Bible studies, 18 and up. One at the Govea's house, Pastors Griselda and Berto. And one at the Vivid's house. Woo -hoo! All right. And we meet at that address. And then Saturday, we have the Ambassadors. That is 11 to 18 years old. That is a youth life group. Um, meet at that address. Amen? All right, next, we want to mentor you. This is the second part of, of our vision and our strategy. 
So mentor, we want to 101 you. We want to meet with you one-on-one. -on -one. We want to tell you and teach you how to walk with Jesus, how to live holy lives. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to be about it. And then we're going to send you into the 201 class, which is a leadership training course, because we believe that all Christians should be leaders. Amen? And then we're going to send you out. Everybody say, send. Yes, like, how can, you know, like we're going to send you out, all right? We're going to send you out to do evangelism. We do this. We meet multiple times through the week. I mean, Saturday nights is specifically for that. If you want to really build your faith, meet with them, the evangelism team, on a Saturday night from, eight, or from 5 to 8 p.m., amen? All right. Then we are going to, just to go over it again with you, our vision is to love God, love people. God said those are the two greatest commandments. Then we want to connect you to life groups. We want to mentor you with the 101 and 201. And then we want to send you out to change the world. And then our goal is that we want 100 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches and 500 around the world. That is amazing. Say amen if you believe God can do it. All right. And then we want to talk to you guys about tithes and offerings. Tithes is 10% of your total income given regularly to the church. And then anything above and beyond the tithe, we designate in two places, which is our missions offering and our building offering. And on the envelopes or even online when you do it, there's, you can just type it in there. You can write it whichever amount you want to do. So then we're going to go to our disciples giving book. So lesson nine, stewards are trustworthy. Okay, if we're going to steward the things of God, we need to be trustworthy with those things because God is trustworthy. So let's go to our definition. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. We need to be those good stewards. So our scripture going forward is Luke 16, 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you're not doing good with the stuff God has given you now, why would he entrust you with more? It's like, if I give my, my kids some money and you say, you know, you need to save this, but then they don't save it and they just spend it on candy, I can't give them more because they are untrustworthy. So our main points, trustworthy with worldly wealth. Jesus was both the wisest and most practical leader of all time. His insight to stewardship was simple yet profound. Why should God give you true heavenly riches and eternal rewards when you can't even manage temporary worldly wealth. In other words, why should God reward you if you used your money for your needs and not on his kingdom? He wants you to sow seeds into, into this kingdom here. Worldly wealth versus true riches. Worldly wealth is temporary. True riches are eternal. Worldly wealth is easily lost. True riches can never be taken away. Worldly wealth is earned by both the wicked and the righteous. True riches are only given to the righteous. How many people do we see, you know, they're just trying to store up in their storehouses just all these things and possessions and money, and yet in the end, we're not taking a, a U-Haul, you know, to the grave. So then we can ask ourselves these questions. Are you trustworthy? Examine your heart today and say, have I been trustworthy? Have I been trustworthy with my tithes and my offerings? Have I been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth? Will God reward me with true riches in heaven? So in summary, be trustworthy with your worldly wealth in tithes and offerings. And how can we apply this? 
Be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income, any offerings, anything you give after your tithe. Ask God to give you a deep insight into the difference between worldly wealth and true riches. And be trustworthy in everything you do with your family, church, job, friendships, finances, and so on. So if you guys want to confess this confession of faith with me, on the count of three, one, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, and multiplying and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. If you guys would stand with me. And then we have, um, again, ties 10% of your total income. We have two places you can give above and beyond that tithe is missions and for the building fund. We have just been uh, growing that, and that has been amazing. You guys have all been part of that. And then we have four ways for you to give. You can either bring it up here to one of the, the two buckets at the front and the wall-mounted drop boxes in the back. You can see me, and I can take it with a credit card or online with Chase QuickPay, PayPal, and BillPay. So again, we just wanna we wanna recite this this verse over our lives in regards to tithes and offerings. So if you guys would read this with me, Philippians 4:19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are, God. We thank you for being Jehovah Jireh, God our provider. And Lord, I just pray that today that you would bless each and every person here, God, with the provisions that they need, that you would give them their daily bread, Lord, but that they would give you back what, what you ask of us to, the, to break the greed off of our hearts in, in every way, Lord. And I just pray, God, that you would just um, let this seed be sown in good soil and that we can be blessed more so that we can do more for our community and for our families and for all of those around us. Lord God, we just give you this time and this day. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come rejoicing as you give as we put on some party music. Amen. How many ready to learn about money today? Say money, 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 money. <laughs> you guys ready? Open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We are going to talk about money. 
I just want to get a little crowd participation. I'm going to do money, 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 and you guys go, money. Okay, money, 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 money. Okay, there you go. Now, we're going to put it into a biblical perspective today. We are on our summer sermon series, Financial Stewardship. If you've been learning something from these lessons, can I get an amen? Amen. Hasn't it been wonderful? Okay, so today open up your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll get into financial stewardship and money in just a moment. But let us go to the text that we've been learning all about spiritual discipline. Someone say strict training. Thank you. That is where we get the word spiritual disciplines from. That's the idea. That's a strict training that we go into is a spiritual discipline. Let's look at Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Thank you. But how many get the prize? Only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Thank you. So we want to be winners. To win, we have to run, and we've got to run in such a way as to win the prize. Now look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Strict training. Thank you. That's where we get this concept from, spiritual disciplines. Another word for discipline is training. So I could have called the sermon series spiritual training, okay? They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. How many are looking forward to that day? But how many don't want to hasten that day? You're looking forward to going to heaven, but you don't want to hurry it up. You want to live safely, wisely, blessed on earth. Amen. A lot to do down here. A lot of lives to change. A lot of people to impact. I know heaven will be amazing. And I know when I go there, I won't regret it. But as Paul says, I want to stay on this earth to be with my family and children. And I want to make a difference in the world that I live in. And just think about that for a moment. That we shouldn't want to go to heaven right now. We love heaven. We appreciate heaven, but we should want to bring heaven to earth. He said, this is what you should pray. You shouldn't pray this like, Lord, I just want to go to heaven real quick. Take me there. No, the prayer should be, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't look forward to heaven and have heaven on your mind. You should, but you should see that today you have a purpose on this earth and that heaven should come to earth. And I don't know if you guys know this, but heaven is not our final place. Did you guys know that? Part of our doctrines as Christians that we believe and teach is that heaven is only a temporary place until the Lord Jesus comes back down to earth. So the Garden of Eden, this earth, is where God has always intended to be with his people. So think of heaven as a temporary vacation and think of hell as the county jail. Bad people go to the county jail until they go to court and then they go upstate and to the penitentiary. How many know, little son, son, I'm on jail, I'll work, come on. Oh, got all quiet on me, huh? Got all quiet. That's okay. So you know somebody. You just know. You can say you know me, right? Because I know about this. Okay? And, and then we go to vacation, but we don't live in the place we vacation. We come back home. Earth is our home. So we go to heaven for a temporary time, worship, but once the trumpet, the last trumpet sounds... We come back down with the Lord and rule and reign with him forever and ever. Amen? 
So let us not get to the point where we're looking for heaven as a location. Let us look for heaven to come on this earth and appreciate that one day we will be there. Does everybody see the difference? Because some people don't want to make an impact on this earth, and they're just like, oh, I just can't wait to get to heaven. I just want to die. I don't love this place. You know? And it's like, no, it's almost like a sense of suicidal. Like, no, God does not want us like that. God wants us to long to be with him, to be with him forever. But while we're on this earth, we should see the kingdom of God come here. So if you ever feel a little homesick and say, I just wish God was closer to me. I wish I had a better relationship with him. I wish I could see more of his power, more of his healing. Well, then pray for heaven to come on earth. Amen. Okay, that's a little lesson on that. Verse 26, therefore I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to whose body? My body. Whose body? My body. Nudge your neighbor and say, I can't strike a blow to your body. Say, I'll never really do that. I can't do that. Sometimes we get upset with people and we're like, no, you're the problem. I want to strike a blow to your body. Like the person driving in front of us, like, no, I want to strike a blow to your body, right? You're the problem. I know you're the problem. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the one you strike a blow to is your own body. This is not to be taken under the misunderstanding of the Catholic practice of flagellation, which sounds like I'm saying the word flagellate like gas, right? And I've always wondered why do those two words sound so much alike? Flagellation. Let's see if I'm saying it right here. Okay. This is the Catholic practice of flagellation. I said it right. Didn't I say it right? Okay. Now, flagellation right here is the practice of beating oneself either as a religious discipline or for sexual gratification. We'll leave out that sexual gratification part for a minute here. Well, just forever right now. But uh, this idea was taken on by the Roman Catholic priest to because of this scripture, actually, because they believed like, oh, we're going to do this to subject our body to certain disciplines. And let's see if they show here how they would do this. Yes, during the inquisitions, the church would beat other people's bodies, and the priests would also beat their own bodies. And of course, this gets into slavery, but let's see here. Uh, let's put here as a search, a priest beating himself, priestly flagellation, flagellation. Have you ever wondered why people crawl on their knees up to certain temples at Catholic sites? Have you ever seen people do that or heard of that? Crawl on their knees? Some of you have. It's, it's Sadly, it's more popular in Latin America, uh, in, that, in that part of the world. Uh, the Philippines as well, they'll crucify some of their friends. It's not even like they want to kill them, but they'll volunteer in certain parts of the, the country to be crucified during that time. Uh, so that they can strike blows to their body. And maybe you've seen it something like this. This is how I was showed it in Bible college. They would actually take these uh, whips and whip themselves while they prayed. Anybody ever hear about that? Okay, a few of you. Well, this is all taken from that scripture. I strike a blow to my body. They would take that literally, and they would think that that was a practice of spirituality. I remember seeing um, in my one of my books in Bible college where it said a priest... Uh, some of the priests would practice burning their flesh if they uh, were tempted. They would burn their flesh over candles, kind of like what teenagers do now by cutting themselves. And then it, it, it showed this one poor old piece, a priest with only like two fingers left. And I'm like, dude, you must have been lusting a lot, you know. And I just feel so bad for him because every time he would lust, he would burn off a finger. And he got that idea from what Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. So I guess he said, well, I'll just burn it off. But that's not good. Everybody say, mui mal. 
No, we don't want to do that. That is not the practice that we're looking at. When it says here, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave, listen to what that means. So that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. So what does it mean to strike a blow to your body and make it a slave? It means you will not disqualify yourself by the temptations of your body. Now, we know that Paul is the author of this passage here in 1 Corinthians. So turn with me to the place where he clarifies what he means by what he puts to death, okay? Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Little lanyap. Everybody say lanyap. That's Cajon. That is Cajon for something extra, okay? This is extra from the message. Just something I wanted to share with you from my heart as the Lord speaks to me. Galatians 5, verse 24, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? crucified the flesh with its what? Passions and desires. Now, just because it's second service, and we always do fun stuff in second service, let me show you the uh, Filipino, and I'm probably going to spell this wrong, Filipino crucified. Does anybody know what festival that's for? Is it like Easter time? Holy Week. Thank you. Yes, they will uh, crucify a real person. And let's see if we can get, yeah, here you, got, here you got them showing you the nails they're going to use. Roman Catholic penitents flagellate themselves, okay? Uh, this may be a little, um, little graphic, so guard your eyes. Yeah, they'll whip themselves, right? This is true. They will whip themselves. And then here they're crucifying one of their friends. How many are happy we don't do that in this church? But that's what these people are doing. See, this is very, very... Um, Twisted, here we go, here's a picture of it. Yep, and so once again, the idea here, the idea is that if they do this to themselves, they're keeping the command of Paul. But is that what Paul meant when he said crucify yourself or crucify your flesh? No, what he's talking about is the desires. Look at it again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its what? passions and desires. So what am I beating into submission? The, the organ of my body called the flesh or my passions and desires? So where are passions and desires? Point to where they are. Your mind. Well, yeah, we could say our heart, but what do we mean when we say our heart? We don't mean the cardiovascular organ that pumps blood through our veins. We really mean our thoughts and emotions, don't we? So this is where we're crucifying it. This is where we're making it our slave. We're submitting our mind to the mind of Christ. And look at it again. You'll see it in Romans. Look to Romans chapter 8. You'll see the concept that Paul lays out, that the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life. Look at it here. He'll take up the same idea of crucifixion and all of this. Look at it. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Now keep going on, and then he will... Um, or rather go up a, a passage here in, in chapter 7. In chapter 7, he says that, uh, excuse me, I'm, I've lost my place and I scrolled. Chapter 8 still, look at chapter 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. Now here it is. The mind governed by the flesh is what? death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is 
life. And look at now verse 7. Here it is. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. So putting this together in our uh, summer sermon series, we're learning how to be spiritually disciplined. And where that's really going to impact us the most is right here in our mind. Putting to death the thoughts of the flesh. Putting to death the passions and desires that come from our Adamic nature. You were born in the flesh by your mom and dad getting together, listening to maybe a little Al Green. If you're a little younger, maybe listen to a little R. Kelly. You know, let's get it on. Is that Al Green? Let's get it on. Marvin Gaye. Thank you, sir. We know you're a romantic. Here we go. So, you know, some of those songs are, Art Kelly, we won't sing one of those songs here, but uh, the idea is flesh comes through the propagation of the human race, and then we are born naughty in our nature, handed down a curse because of Adam and Eve. But thanks be to God that Jesus came in the flesh, born of a virgin, to bypass the curse and to become the second Adam, the second one to get perfect flesh. Adam got got his made of the dust, and then Jesus got his born of the Holy Spirit, and that's why it was so important. He was born of the Holy Spirit so that he would not have a flesh corrupted by sin. Then he lived his life, became the perfect sacrifice for us, the lamb slain, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. So this was a plan that God had before we even fell. And then when he rose from the dead after being crucified, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, you know, teach them to obey all these things so that we now can have what he has. And look at it quickly with me just so I can show you the scripture. How many love reading your Bible? Amen. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, um, no, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, if any man, 5.17, so it's going to be 5.21. Go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Does everybody remember 2 Corinthians 5.17? Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. You remember that? Let's read together. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has Get out of here. The new is here. Now go on down to verse 21. How did that divine exchange happen? How did we go from being the old creation born in our sins, being a sinner, to be going into a new creation, being born a saint? Here's how it happened. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So there's the exchange. Perfect sacrifice of Jesus becomes sin for us. All of the guilt and the shame and all the things of, of Adam and, and the... Um, the generation of Adam that came after him brought upon Jesus so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he took what we deserved so that we could have what he earned. You all get that? He took what we deserved. What did we deserve? Punishment so that we could get what he earned. He bought us with a price so that we could get righteousness. So I love to say it like this. I was born a sinner but born again a saint. I was born in a naughty nature but born again in the divine nature. How many believe that? Amen. And just look at it again since we're having so much fun today. Look at 1 Peter. Look at, uh, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 talks about being in the divine nature of Christ, and it shows that we, oh, excuse me, 1 Peter, I was right, originally, 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, in what verse, who knows, as I scroll through this, we'll find it, 
Here we go. First Peter chapter 1. I thought I saw it. Participators in the divine nature. You guys want to know how I find Bible verses? I Google. Participators in the divine nature. Right now, I wish I had an audio thing. I could just speak it. Participators in the divine nature. You all need to know your Bible better. How come you can't help your pastor? Don't you have this memorized, Brian? No, I'm just teasing. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. You're like, Pastor, we pay you to do this. It was in 2 Peter, but it was chapter 2. Look at it. What did I do there? 2 Peter, was it chapter 4? No, it's chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. When we get there, let's read it together out loud. Here we go. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that, let's read it together, so that through them you may participate in the, one more time, that you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So I think that ties that scripture together for us very nicely that we see we're in strict training because Jesus has set us free from our evil desires. He has set us free from our flesh. So now when it tries to come back, we're to count it as dead. We're to keep it on the cross. Jesus said to carry the cross and follow him. So we are to count ourselves as dead. And I just, I don't know if I'm just on something the Lord's given me or if I'm just excited to be in church. Either one, I want you to see this other scripture too. Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. Remember we just read this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. But watch this. Since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how is the person now going to be righteous in God's eyes, being strict training to their flesh? Flesh, not letting it rise back up, carrying their cross uh, everywhere they go, being reminded that they're not that old person anymore. How are they going to do that? By the Spirit. You do it by the Spirit. You walk in the new life by the Spirit. So today, if I am tempted by my flesh, I instantly follow the Spirit out of that temptation and count that flesh as dead. I don't give it the place of a thought. I don't give it the place of my meditation because then when I do, like Paul said in Romans, it becomes the place of death. Can I get an amen? Amen. So here we go. Spiritual disciplines, the strict training that we do as Christians, are the practices the disciples show in their life to grow spiritually because they know God. Everybody say, show, know, and grow. Okay, here are the 12 spiritual disciplines you've learned already. If you love them, if you're practicing them, if you're excited about them, when I say these things, you guys say amen. Reading your Bible, having your family in order, memorizing Scripture. How many have read memorized the Scripture this week? Only a few of you. I'm going to teach you one right now. I did it in the first service because some of you aren't memorizing Scripture, so I'm going to help you. Let's go right now to Psalm 145.9. Go with me to Psalm 145.9 because these are things we don't just do one week when we learn about them. We're going to do them all throughout our lives. I'm going to teach you how to memorize the Scripture. Are you ready? Psalm 145.9. Here's how we memorize Scripture. Let us repeat the first part until we can commit it to memory. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. 
He has compassion on all that he has made. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all that he has made. Try it again. I'm going to close my eyes. The Lord is good. No, no, no. I messed it up. No, no, I was right. Okay. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Amen. And if you could just walk out of here memorizing this part, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. Amen. Memorize scripture. Commit it to your memory. Let's just not say we're doing it. Let's do it. How many have been soul journaling? Praying and worshiping. You did it today, right? Discipleship in Christ's likeness. You're in the 101, 201. Come on, Christian service. Doing all things as unto the Lord. Public evangelism. Those of you who have not been involved in that, start getting involved over 10 different times to get involved. Here's all you have to do if you ever forget. We have a Facebook page and we have a website. But you just go to ChicagoForJesus.com. Here it is on our webpage, ChicagoForJesus.com. You can go right here, and here is our schedule right here, all the wonderful things we are doing, 10 different opportunities. You can witness before on Sunday. You can come with me Monday to Wright College, Tuesday, every other Tuesday at a life group, Wednesday here before the King's Kids program, Thursday at the gang outreach, three opportunities on Friday, one with the youth ministry, two at the home Bible studies, and there on Saturday. That is 10 opportunities to publicly evangelize. Let's give it up for a church that's doing something. That's all glory to God. That's not one person, amen? That's all the Lord's people doing their part. How about spiritual meditation? If you missed it, go back and listen last week. I know some of you were out of town doing different things. That was an awesome, awesome message. I love spiritual meditation. Today's financial stewardship. How many are ready for this? Amen. How about Christian fellowship next week? Picking the right friends, because the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. But the Bible says when Christians get together, it's iron sharpening iron. And then last but not least, church involvement. How many love your church? Whoop, whoop. Okay. Now here's what it looks like. You guys have seen this chart. Knowing, showing, and growing. We start off knowing Jesus as God and Savior. How many believe Jesus is God and Savior? How many believe today you are born again? You are in the divine nature of God, and you can keep all of his commands. That's the Christian life. That's not based on works. You don't become a Christian by how much you read the Bible. You don't become a Christian by how much you can put your family in order or memorize Scripture. We become Christ-like. We become Christians, disciples of Jesus, when we know him as our Lord and Savior, believe that he has changed us and made us those new creations, and accept that call that he put upon, his li- uh, put upon our lives to be like him. And it all happens in one moment. When you confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, he comes in, changes your heart, and sets you on the right path. How many of you, if you can remember, and it may be sooner uh, rather than later or, or sooner more than in the past for some of us, but how many remember we can all go back to a time when we were first saved and then we sinned and did something we ought not to do and we felt conviction? How many remember those feelings? You know what that was? That was the Holy Spirit. Now as mature Christians, we've gotten used to that, haven't we? What is condemnation? Condemnation is saying what you are not. And the devil will use your thoughts against you and tell you what you are not. And a lot of Christians get discouraged there. But what is conviction? Showing you who you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus telling you, I didn't make you to do that. You're better than that. I created you to be an eagle, not a chicken with all of these little hens down here. I created you to soar on the wind. Amen? 
I have all these, um, these geese in my backyard that just make an absolute mess. Does anybody know about geese? Have you ever seen these things? Has anybody ever seen the meme about the geese? There's basically, let me see here, the devil creates geese. Let me just show this to you since I'm in a good mood here today. Let me just see here. This is a funny little meme here. Yep, this is it. Okay. So basically this little meme, let me put it up here so everybody can see it. So the devil's like, come on, let me create one thing. Oh, for Pete's sake, fine. Jackpot. And then this is what he creates. How many sometimes feel geese are of the devil? Anybody else? If you haven't been around them, maybe you don't understand this, but geese, they just make noise, they're loud, they're messy, and then they're just terrible. And so I have like sometimes these fascinations or these little fantasies in my mind of me going out into my backyard with a shotgun and just, and just lighten them all up because literally when my kids walk through the backyard, they have to watch where they step. And one day, and I don't mean to be gross, but one day I stepped in one of their dung and it flipped up on my sandal and went up on my calf. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to shower again. You know, I got to hose myself down. But here, here's the thing. Did God call us to be geese or did God call us to be eagles? Eagle. So I want you to make sure you come for the next two weeks. We're going to teach you how to pick the right friends, and we're going to show you how to get involved in church, and that's what's going to make a great difference in your relationship. So look at this. We start off with knowing, then we show the Christian life by what we do so that we can grow. How many want to grow in goodness and knowledge and self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and gentleness? Y'all want some of that? Amen. And let me just show you the scripture again because I love this scripture. I never get tired of it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. But this time I want you to listen to it in a more modern translation like the, the message. Uh, first, uh, Ephesians chapter 10. Thank you. I was wondering what happens. I put 20 there. Look at it in this version. You know, we've heard it before like this. For we are God's what? Handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good work. So you were created in Christ Jesus to just sit on the pew? No, you were created to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Does God create junk? Does God create things broken? So are you able to do every good work God created you for? Yes. So do you ever have to cuss again? Do you ever have to lust again? No. See, remember, condemnation tells you what you're not. The devil will watch you mess up and go, look at you. You're not a Christian. You're not good at this. Look how terrible you are. But you know what conviction says? God says, look at me and see who I made you to be. Look at the reflection in me. Uh, look at the reflection of me in you. When you see Jesus and that he's made you sinless, you will sin less. When Jesus made you a new creation, did he make you still with little sin inside of you? No, he made you perfect and holy. And so when you see him, in you and how he's made you sinless, you will then sin less in life. But now look at this uh, passage here about being God's handiwork, doing the things that God created us to do. Look at this in the message, a more modern translation. God does both the making and the saving. So God saves us and he also makes us good. He saves us from our bad and makes us good to do good things. Remember we learned that. But look at how it says it here. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. 
So it's by the Holy Spirit we're doing the good works that, that God is inside of us working through us. He joins us in the good work, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better get doing. How many want to start doing the work of the Lord? Okay, now, we don't want to take any of this for granted. That's what it says. Don't take it for granted. So let's look at the message now on financial stewardship. Let us look at what we can do to grow in our Christian walk because we got to grow up to go up. Everybody say, grow up to go up. If you want to reach new levels in life, let's grow up. Now, let me start off today with this rather long introduction, and it is going to be a little intense, but I want to really do it. I had put a video out as well on Facebook. I don't know if you've seen it. And here's my heart, because the moment a pastor wants to talk about finances, what begins to happen in, in the world we live in with your friends or people at the job or at your school? Instantly, they're going to think about how churches have done bad with money, how pastors have done bad with money. And I want to tell you my story really quick so you can understand me. I wasn't brought up in a, um, a Christian, or, or I was brought up in a Christian home, but not a pastor's home. So ministry wasn't something I inherited. It's not like I understood it all when I was a kid. I was just brought up in a Christian businessman's home, sold and did drugs, high school dropout, and I came to know the Lord at my mother's kitchen table. And within a few months, the Lord put a call on my life to go into ministry. This calling came when I was on my way to a nursing home or at a nursing home, and it was amazing. I just want to tell you about it. I had no idea that that day the Lord was going to call me. So I was driving and delivering pizzas. I go to the nursing home to drop off the pizzas. As I'm walking in there, I see an old woman. She's decrepit. She's probably dealing with dementia or something. And I just reach out my hand to her to say, hey, how are you doing? God bless you. Jesus loves you. And the moment I do that, one of the nurses says, don't you touch her. She's crazy. She'll bite you. And then I like at that moment, I'm just like, hold on. I don't think you know me and where I come from. I am not afraid of this little old lady. And I put out my hand, and I'm like, God bless you. Jesus loves you. And I go back into my car, and the Lord spoke to me. And he said, Joe, I have called you to reach out your hand to the hurting. He said, people will tell you not to do it, but I want you to be my vessel it was like as if somebody poured warm oil on me. My whole body felt like it was on fire. I began to feel the presence of the Lord, and I wept in that car. And I said, God, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go where you want me to go. And a few months later, he called me to New Orleans. I began reaching the hurting people on Bourbon Street, the hurting people of nine different housing projects. Started a church a couple years later in my house at 22 and been doing ministry ever since then. But listen, being in Louisiana, that was where Jimmy Swaggart was from. Now, some of you may not remember Jimmy Swagger, so I'll show you a picture of him. But Jimmy Swagger was known as a swindling kind of a, a televangelist because what he did is he stole money from, or not really stole money from people, well, he's a little shady, but he was uh, preaching against sin, but he was having sex with a prostitute. And this is what people remember him as, and I don't want to mock it, but I'm just going to show you what a lot of people remember him as, is the day he came out before his television show. They say at this time he was making around $10 million a month having sex with prostitutes, and he comes on the TV show saying, I've sinned, I've lied, and I've done all this. Well, around that same time, there was another guy out on TV named Jim, but his name was Jim Baker, and he was stealing money because what he had did is he had set up uh, a, a Christian um, 
a Christian empire, kind of like a Christian Disney world. And Tammy Faye Baker was his famous wife. If you ever think of people making fun of a televangelist, they'll normally uh, kind of make fun of this, this woman here. I'll show it to you, uh, Tammy Faye Baker. If I can get a larger picture of that. Here we go. This is how my parents would have remembered them. And, um, you know, kind of like the big eyelashes, lots of makeup. Well, while they were building their Disney World, they, they started selling uh, timeshares to people to go there. And let's say they had like 10,000 timeshares. Well, they began to sell like 50,000 timeshares where there was only 10,000. So it was illegal. And then all this money they were getting, they had like an air-conditioned doghouse, maybe for that dog right there. And they had gold-plated sinks and toilets. It was just crazy. So now you have to understand, this was the, this was the mindset of preachers in the late 80s, early 90s. And so when I go to Bible college in uh, 1996, I'm lumped in with these guys. I'm lumped in with that. And I'm thinking to myself, I've never done anything. I'm just a high school dropout that fell in love with Jesus and wants to help people. But I'm being lumped in with these guys. Have you, ever, as a Christian, ever been lumped in with other crazy Christians? Maybe somebody has said something to you about what another Christian did or another Christian said. And you're like, hold on, I, I may believe in Jesus, but I'm not like that. Well, that's what happens with churches and pastors. But then sadly, as time went on in my ministry, I did get around churches. I began to get around the, as they would say, behind the scenes. And the stuff that I saw there many, many times, not all churches, but the stuff that I saw oftentimes was very disgusting to me. One of the churches that would pick up children in our Chicago neighborhoods, the Baptist Church from Indiana, Jack Scott, began to have sex with a 16-year-old girl in his office. You see, and that reputation is known now. And it's sad when you think about it like that, either stealing money, having sex, and it's like, what's going on? Well, my friends, I want to address that before I talk to you today about your finances. Because I know in the back of your mind, you may be thinking, well, what is this about money the pastor wants to talk about when he has all the money? Look at the church and look at this church over here. But let's get it straight right now. Because I think what the devil likes to do is the devil wants to confuse people with the truth, it may be true these people have done things, but he wants to confuse them so that the people point fingers at others and don't look at themselves. Because while they're judging all of these pastors, they're not realizing they're also greedy too. They're also lovers of money as well. They're also cheating God out of what God says he deserves. And so what I want us to do is clear the playing field here by admitting to you and repenting as a pastor on behalf of backslidden churches and pastors and say, that is sin. And if you've ever felt that bad, you know, bad about that, you are right. But then I want to say, but what are you doing with money? And how are you acting as a Christian? Can I get an amen? Thank you. I want to start today's sermon by addressing the elephant in the room, and that is the terrible reputations that churches and pastors have in our culture in regards to money. And how many of you have seen that reputation or heard of that reputation? I humbly acknowledge and repent for all the manipulation, the greed, the lying, the mismanagement, the stealing that has been done in the name of God. I stand before you today and say that is wrong. First, I want to repent on behalf of the self-centered pastors, and I've known some. I'm sad to say it, but it's true. The self-centered pastors who not only benefit from the church in the way of tithes and offerings, but also benefit by charging for everything from their anniversary dinners to their overpriced sermons, their books, their concerts, and their conferences. Jesus said, whatever we have freely received, we should freely give. That's Matthew 10, 8. And so I want you to understand this, my friends. I 
make a living off of the tithes and offerings. Griselda was here in our first service, and you can look her up online. At any time, you can request from our administrator the finances of this church. It is put on PDF every month to our governing elders' private Facebook page for them to evaluate and to go over, and we have roughly about eight governing elders. There are no secrets in this church. When we first started this church, those around me and the pastors that helped me uh, guide me in starting the bylaws and all of our, um, our doctrinal statements and how we would manage things said, let us start the pastor's salary for 50000 for him, 50000 for his wife for a total of 100000 Do you know that in all of these years as a pastor, my wife and I have never even collected that, though last year we brought in almost 250000 Last year I made roughly around 68000 Why? Because I don't want to take from the church what could benefit the church as we're growing, though that has already been set for my wife and I and our family. So there's no secret on what I make as a pastor. You can see exactly what I made last month if you request that document. There is no secrets here of what we do with the money. There's money in savings from our missions, those that know about our building project, the savings go there, as well as those left, uh, fund, monies left over from our general fund as an itemized list of everything we spend our money on. I don't know why, let me just tell you this, I don't know why other churches don't do this. I don't know why. I know there's a lot of good ones that do. I love ministries like Joyce Myers and other great ministries. You can go right to their website, look at their financials, see that it's been audited by a, a respectable accountant and so forth. And we have an outside accountant. This is common and it should be, uh, it's common sense and it should be common in the church. Amen. I mean, if you're giving donations, don't you want to know where the donations go? I mean, you should be able to ask at any time. And actually, it's a part of the law that you should be able to do this. And then one of the things the accountant said to me is, Joe, why don't you also take money from your books? Why is it every time we see you sell these books, you give it back to the church? I said, because I wrote these books as a pastor of the church. It's like when you're working your job and you do something for your company. You don't get to collect a salary for what you did for your company. I wrote these books in the setting of the church. These profits belong to the church. Doesn't that just make sense? A lot of pastors pimp from the pulpit because they use their pulpit to then set up another business, and then from that independent business, usually in their name, they sell all of their materials. But where do they get the base and all of the advertisement, all the free promotion? It was from the church. Now, why is it we charge for books that are paperback or T-shirts? The reason why we do that is because Jesus said, whatever you freely receive, then freely give. But I don't get the books for free. I don't get T-shirts for free. So what I have to pay for, we offer it to the church for a charge. But what we do do is we put all of the information for free online. So my books, you don't have to pay $20 to read one of my books. You can read the book today for free in PDF. And I would recommend all authors of Christian Christian backgrounds to do the same things because the information most Christians are getting, they're getting them from the Lord. Look at what it says here. Read books online. You can go to the website under blogs, read books online, and you can read my book on the Islam book right here for free. You click on the PDF, you get it for free. I don't know why other pastors don't do this. Do you understand? I have just as much education as them. I spend just as much time as them writing. If we're here to impact the world for the gospel, why am I holding back a Muslim from reading my book on Islam based on them buying the book? 
I'm a Christian. I didn't get into this to make money off the Muslim. I want the Muslim to read the book. Are you with me? But if he wants it in paperback or whatever, here's the little charge that we have because we were charged here. And whatever we charge extra, we put back into the fund so we can give them away. We give them away. So if a Muslim wants the book, I give it for free. The Apollo Quibloy people who have been taken by this cult in the Philippines, I have the books that we've published to give away for free. Don't you know that Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses give all their stuff away for free? Is that, is, is that not an indictment against the church? The church charges for all of our books, all of our materials, and here are the cults going, you want this? It's for free. You want the Book of Mormon? It's for free. Come on, somebody. Somebody say, help us, Lord. And then if you look me up on Amazon, Amazon is a service that they have to make their money. Look at Joe Wyrostick on Amazon. I sell about 120 books a month, and if you look at my authorship here, Look at how much these books cost. Let's get away from this here. How much are my books on Amazon? Can you see the price? How much are my books on Amazon? Look right here. What does it say? How much? Why? Because I can't put it for free. If I could put it for free there, I would put it for free. But Amazon, since it is a commercial site, requires that you have a minimum cost if people want to put it onto their Kindle device, which I read all of my books on Kindle, by the way. And that's why you never really see me with a paper Bible up here. I've lost, I've, I've gotten rid of paper stuff a long time ago. I have a big library. If you've ever seen a picture of me in my library, I have a big library. But all I do is carry around my phone. I have about 1,800 study books on this right here and about 250 popularized books. I have almost 2,000 books right here. And um, just an enormous amount of that in Bible study and everything. But 2,000 stuff right here. You guys listening to me, so that's why I just don't carry around a paper Bible. I used to carry a paper Bible everywhere I went, and it got dirty, and it would get messed up because I would take it grocery, store, uh, grocery shopping with me. Literally, I took a Bible everywhere. And then once I finally could get on my phone, I was like, thank you, Jesus. And it always just surprises people, too, especially when I'm out with them, and they're like, oh, what's going on? Oh, you're a pastor. And I just start breaking stuff down. They just cannot believe how simple it is. And all Christians can do that. Maybe you don't need to have 2,000, but you can use those apps like the Bible app. You can have so many apps there. But look, at 99 cents, you can get the books. Why am I saying all of that? Because I want to take off the, uh, the mystery of what's going on in the church. We're being pimped. We're being pimped. Why is this so expensive to go to a conference? Listen to me, my friends. If you go to this church and you have given your tithes and offerings, haven't you already paid for the lights to be on? Haven't you already paid for the chairs to be here, the bills to be paid? Why is it now we say we're having a conference? You have to pay again to go through the door. That's not God's way. God's way is you give freely. But then you know what people say? Well, Pastor, we have so many guest speakers coming for our conference. We have to pay for them. Well, shame on your guest speakers having a writer or a $10,000 fee for you to have to hire them to come like a hireling. What happened to the day of free will offerings? What happened to the day of believing that God's people would provide for the need? And so some of you here today, you have no problem buying Christian books because you have a good heart. I know. You'll pay $15, $20 for it on Kindle. You'll pay, you'll pay the price. And, and, and you know, just like I do, they're going to make a lot of money off that. But you love them. And that's okay. You go to the conferences. You love them. That's okay. Let me tell you who my problem is. My, my problem is with the people who are doing that. My problem isn't with you. But my thing is for us, we should expect better. You should expect better. Am I not telling the truth today? Can I hear an amen? 
Jesus said, whatever we have freely received, you should freely give. I am deeply sorry today that in many churches today, godly people can be faithful in tithes and offerings and still be made to feel guilty if they don't spend their money on all these additional things that the church promotes. Peter considered this kind of pimping in the pulpit pursuing dishonest gain. Look at it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at what he said, 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, be a shepherd, be an elder, but don't do it uh, out of the want to get money. Do it because you want to serve. Look at this. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are what? Willing, not because you pay me. You know what the great thing about this is, about this church? I was your pastor before you ever paid me. That's why I can say I'm not here for the money. I resigned from a job as a 28-year-old youth pastor getting paid almost $40,000 plus entire benefits. My wife and I resigned. My wife and I got married. She worked at a bank for five years making about $10 an hour. My parents helped me for the first year, paid my rent, gave me a car, helped me out. I did that to start a church in my house. And today we'll have close to 200, if not more than that here. Obviously talking a lot about the first service as well, but the second service and overgrowth. Why? I did that for you. I didn't do it so I can make money off you. I've already proven I'm not here for money. Now the Bible says that the elders, they should do this not because they have to, but because they want to. They're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing what? Dishonest gain, but eager to serve. I'm just being honest with you. I could not. I'm just, I just got to keep it 100% real. I have the Holy Spirit. I'm a man of wisdom. I could not charge you $20 for that book online, $15. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Even if somebody said to me, well, pastor, you could use all that money for good stuff. I would say, but man, how did I get the money? You mean I'm trying to tell people it's about discipleship, it's about all these things, it's going to change their life, Jesus gave it to me, and then now I'm saying Jesus gave it to me, but you got to pay for it? The Bible is free. The greatest book in the whole world with all the knowledge you'll ever need, you're sufficient in the Bible alone. It's free. Are you guys listening to me? I think some of y'all just want me to be pimp, a pimp up here because you ain't amening me enough. Do you want me to start pimping? Or amen me when I tell you I'm not going to pimp. Don't, do you want to get pimped? Did, did that open up your mind a little bit? It should. It should open up your mind. I don't know. I'm looking at some of your blank stares, and I'm like, well, maybe they want to be pimped. Or maybe they like it like that. I don't know, but I'm just here to tell you that I can't do that with a clear conscience. I, I, this year, we may get up to 300000 this year. I, I, I still can't take 100000 this year. I can't do it. I can't take the full salary because there's too many things God put in my heart to do that we still need to do. It, it may be a while before my wife and I and a family of five, total of seven, five kids, it may be a while before I take that full salary. Why? Because there are more important for things for me to do. Right now, if I was working at another church that was already established, I would be getting paid $75,000. My wife would be getting paid fifty. dollars We would start somewhere at $125,000. Some of my friends make $150,000. You may not like that churches pay that much, but that's the real world. Bible colleges and professors, some of them get paid six figures, and I uh, resigned. You know what? I resigned from being a Bible college professor on top of a pastor because I knew I couldn't do both well. 
but they were willing to pay me upwards of 50000 to work for the Bible college and my wife and I working here. If I wanted to pull down everything I deserve, I could make 150000 right now. And it would be none of your business because I got paid and it was written a check under the right law. It was nothing dishonest about it. But you see, in my heart, it's not time and it's not worth it. And I resigned from the Bible college. I said, I can't do this for you, man. I, I, they wanted me to travel and do all of that. I said, thank you for the offer of 48K plus benefits. It's not a money thing. God has called me here. And this is another separate thing, another separate thing. I get invitations all the time to go preach at different places. But the Lord has told me, this is where I belong. This is my stadium. This is my televangelist. This is everything to me right here. The Lord may release me one day to go and do that, but that's not what I'm going to do. And that's why for many years, not just one year, not two, we're talking many years, I have not missed a Sunday. The only Sundays I have ever missed is when I've been on the mission field. Let's put it that way. I've never even been sick a Sunday. Those of you who have been around the church like Brian for five, six, seven years, you've never seen me miss a Sunday. Only time I'm not here is when I'm on mission trips. Why? This is where God has called me to be. I didn't go, I'm not going to use my gift of tap dancing for Jesus called preaching and use that to go make money so I can make more. So if you want to put it all together, just because I'm exposing this, I can make 100 k here, 50 at the Bible college, and make another 50 traveling. I could make 200000 but I said, no, we'll do it at 68, just fine. You see, there's something that needs to change in the mentality of the church. That's why a lot of pastors are fake, and I don't mean all. A lot of pastors are fake. That's why a lot of churches are fake. Let's get to the churches. Are you ready? Look at your neighbor and say, it's just the introduction. I'm just clearing the way so I can talk to you about money. Because you're not going to trust me talking to you about money now, are you? See, hasn't the devil pulled a good trick on us? Let's get, let's get all the people in the pew to point at those pastors and say how terrible they are. Now we don't have to listen to them talk about money. Nah, 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 nah. I don't have to listen to you. But you see, you get a pastor up here that breaks down all of that. Now it goes right back to you. It goes right back to the words of the Lord. And I know the devil's a liar, so I'm exposing him today. Second, I repent for self-centered churches that only look out for the interests of those who are well off inside their walls. I used to work for a church like this. I know many churches like this. As if the church was designed to be a clique for trendy hipsters or a social club for the upper class. I see two different kinds. James said by their discriminating of the poor and favoring of the rich, they have become judges with evil thoughts. They will spend thousands of dollars on their buildings and programs to entertain the overfed lazy sheep, yet they hardly do anything for the community around them. You see here a church of over 200 people, or a little bit over 200 people, and this is just one example, one example of the amount of evangelism going on throughout the week, let alone, my friends, let alone the amount of life groups that you can, those are separate from the life groups. Some of them are the same, but others of them are separate from the life groups. And you say, Pastor, how does a church like this have so many life groups and opportunities? Why? Because all of these things say what our priorities are. Our priorities are the people, not putting on concerts, not entertaining, not making a certain click feel okay. We want to love God and love people. We're not the only ones, but I just want to make it clear what we're here to do. Yes, we should have nice things. 
Speakers that are nicer sound better. Music, uh, um, instruments that are nicer sound better. How many know it's not wrong to have nice things? You buy a pair of shoes, you want them nice. You want a house, you want it nice. Nothing wrong with nice things. I'm talking about to the point where it's no longer about reaching people. It's about keeping the ones you have entertained. And I remember working for a church like this, and the idea was that we have to keep the big buck people happy. The ones who have the money, we need to keep them happy. And so I'll never forget this. I was a youth pastor winning people to the Lord. They let me preach on Sundays often, and uh, some people really were getting saved through the preaching. And one time a, a man got saved through my preaching, and he would see me do the baptisms because it was one of those traditional churches where you would be up here baptizing on a stage, you know, and I would be doing that. And, and he said, he said, Pastor, you've won me to the Lord. I see you do the baptisms. Can I get baptized next time you guys do it? Because he had heard us announce it. And I said, yeah, and it was like next week or something. And so he comes to do it, but there's an elder there. And what qualified this person as an elder had nothing to do with training, like how we do here, discipleship, had nothing to do with all of the biblical standards of making disciples that make disciples, being fruitful in the ministry, bearing a good testimony like that. It really had more to do with position and the people voting him in, like a popularity contest. You know what the elder says? He didn't go to my baptism class. Now, granted, I'm a youth pastor there, and I didn't even know there was a baptism class, how unorganized this place was. It was a big church. I go, sir, I am sorry. I didn't know about your baptism class. Well, why don't we do what Jesus did? Why don't we baptize them, and then they'll go to your class? Because we'll baptize them today like Jesus told us to. And he went and caused an issue with the pastor and so the day of the baptism, this man has a row full of his family. The pastor says to me, because he was a new pastor in that church. These churches a lot of times go through pastors like you wouldn't believe. He said to me, well, let's not upset brother so-and-so because he's been a part of the church for a long time. Which basically means he has money and influence, money and a mouth. He's going to hold back his money or talk about us. You know? So let's just do it like this. And I am thinking to myself, we are capitulating to a totally different standard than the Bible just to make this dude happy. Why don't we tell him his attitude is wrong, his mindset is wrong. It's not about a class. I do classes all the time, I understand, but it's about baptism. The guy wants to get baptized, here's his family. But it's, hey, hey, don't make him mad. Because if Brother Big Bucks leaves, we're not going to have any more of his money. You know, when I first started this church, it was like that. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a young guy, and a church is small, and you only have a few people. And so what people would do who had the money, because they would realize a lot of us were young adults, what they would do if they had the money, they would come to us after they heard something about the building fund, like we're going to build this storage out here or something out here. They would come to me. Instead of just putting it in the offering, they would come and go, hey, if you ever need anything, just let me know. You know, just let me know. And I fell for that because I'm like thinking, oh, man, you're a cool guy. Okay, I'll let you know. And then I would call him up and be like, we need this. We need that. And then, I, and then I got this revelation. Why aren't you just putting it in the offering like everybody else? We already told you what we need. But you see, he wanted that because over time what happened was he wanted to call on favors and to have a little bit of influence. And then I was like, not here. You could take your money and hit the door because we ain't doing that here. But how many churches get caught up in that? Uh, pastor, I want to make an offering for 100000 How do I do that? You know, just to let it be known. You know, just let everybody know this is, this is what I'm giving. Well, now what I would say, well, you just march yourself right up here and drop it in the bucket like everybody else. 
That's how you give 100000 in this church, like everybody else. Are you listening? I don't know by looking at some of your faces. Are you guys bored or do you agree with the opposite side of what I'm saying? Do you agree with me or the devil? No, I'm kidding. Whose side are you on? Are you guys just a little tired? A little tired today? See, a church that's designed for a certain class of people will not meet the needs of the community. I don't want a church that looks like me. I'm not here to reach the Chicago shore. I'm not here to reach Italian kids from the middle class so we can all dress at the same, buy our clothes at the same store, listen to the same music. I'm not looking for a one-note harmonica just sounding the same. I want a church that looks like the community. I want people from every background, every class, and every possible culture. Because why? We're here to reach the community. At the most, some churches like this will do one community day a year, and that's when they called on me. Pastor, go reach the community. Let's do something. Okay, what do you want to do? Well, we just want to do this and do that. It's almost like we're going to just itch our little conscience and go, well, if I do this, the, you know, the community will think we love them. But it's not just about a uh, one-time-a-day thing because yet week after week they offer nothing to the poor, no rides, clothing, or food. The single mom or the fatherless get no help, which is like the orphan and the widow in the Bible. The troubled youth don't get any help. The struggling middle class don't get any help. This is another thing that blows my mind. Our churches are oftentimes made of the same thing the culture is made of, which is a, a working middle class, which is the hardest class to be in. It's that, it's that place where you don't get a lot of benefit. When your kids go to school, you got to pay a lot because you, they say you make too much. You know, you're not really poor so you don't get all these benefits but you're not really rich where you have enough to blow so every penny counts but yet I see churches built upon the middle class but yet they juice them out of every penny they can we're going to do a marriage class and it's $25 a couple or an individual $50 a couple and I'm like thinking to myself what are we charging them $50 for what is the reason for this? One time in our church, we had, um, that I was working at, we had all these young adults. They would help out all the time, just like these guys do here. And uh, we were going to go to Devil's Lake, and we had to go stay at a hotel and have fun. It's a crazy name, but those of you who have been there, it's an awesome lake. It should be called Jesus' Lake. It's by Baraboo, Wisconsin. So we go there, or we're planning to go there, and this one guy... He's helped me all the year long. All year long he's helped me. He helped me build a cafe, this wonderful tabletop for the young people, all of these things. And now it's time to go to the retreat, and I don't see his name there. And I go up to him, and I go, hey, man, how come, how come you didn't sign up? Why aren't you going? And he goes, no, nah, I, I just don't want to go. I just don't want to go. And I could tell he was hiding something. I go, why don't you want to go, man? I mean, we love you. You love us. I mean, you're awesome. He goes, I just don't have the money. Here he is as a young college kid, doesn't have a lot of money. Whatever he makes, he gives to his mom to help out. You know, his backstory is just really, you know, touching. So I said, no, 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 bro, you're coming with us. I'm going to go talk to the church. We'll get a scholarship for you. Our church has a million-dollar budget, like 200000 in the bank. We'll, we'll get you scholarship. Do you know who wanted to stop me? was one of the leaders in my group whose, mom, uh, whose parents was on the board. She said, well, if he really wants to come, he should pay for it himself. I go, I understand we don't give handouts. We should give hand ups and help people. I get that. But this is the young man that's helped us build the stage. This is the guy that always comes early and stays late. I said, if he just charged us $10 for everything he's done at this church, $10 an hour, we would owe this guy $5,000. How is it you don't want me to scholarship him? What is wrong with you? But you see, I had to go through all that mess to get this kid his $100 scholarship out of a church of a million-dollar budget. 
had to go to bat for him, had to go through the committee. You know, the, the committee kind of thing. Are you listening to me? You know what that young guy is now? He's the youth pastor of that church. I wonder how embarrassed she feels about that. I don't believe in handouts. Trust me, I'm not that kind of person. And those who work in the inner city with troubled people are the most like that. We do not give the dollar to the homeless guy like everybody who just walks by occasionally. When you work with people that are homeless consistently, you understand the dollar does nothing for them. You need to give them a handout. This was not that kind of an issue. This was a member of the church. Yet when I asked them to buy a van, they said no. Then I said, we'll pick up the kids from the inner city in our cars. Then they got offended by the kids from the inner city. And you see, I began to understand that, dear God, the church has an issue. So I want to repent once again for backslidden pastors and backslidden churches. How many want to hear the message now? Or lastly, let me repent for those who steal. Lastly, I repent for every cowardly, lying, Satan-inspired leader that instead of resigning from their church and pursuing a criminal life in the mafia or whatever they wanted to be, a thief, actually remained in the body of Christ to rob God's people of their money. I pray that they get arrested, sent to jail for breaking the laws of both God and man and don't get out until they've returned all the money to the last penny to those they've stolen it from. Can I get an amen? Now, how many know it's about you now? Okay, you all get that? So have I preached it to the pulpit? Have I told the pulpit what they need to do to change? Now I need to talk to the pew. Amen? Look quickly with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with great contentment, great contentment is great gain. We're going to talk about financial stewardship. Here we go. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What two things do you need to have great gain? Godliness and contentment. Listen to me. If you are not godly, no matter how much you gain, it will never satisfy your soul. If you are not content with what you have, no matter what you get, it will never satisfy your soul. You need two things to be successful in life, godliness and contentment. My wife and I started off in a one-bedroom apartment on Addison with one car. She caught the bus. She worked at the bank. We were willing to be content there. Are you willing to put in your time to be content? Do not become a part of a culture that hates the wealthy, that hates the rich. God is not against successful people. He's against greed in all forms. And oftentimes those I see are the greediest are those who have the least. Some of the most generous people I've met are rich people, and it's not because they started rich. It is because they started from nothing and earned their way to the top, and they gave along the way. They understood the journey. Those who hate those who are at the top don't understand what it took to be there. So listen, greed comes in two forms, self-abasing. Oh, I just don't have anything, and they don't deserve what they have. That is a self-abasing greed, and I see that a lot in the middle class and those that I pastor. And then there's the greed of the rich and the wealthy looking down on you, you peasants. You can't go to the lake and have a, a condo like me. Those self-abasing and self-adorning greed are both greeds. Avoid them. Don't be jealous, be content with what you have, and be godly. Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, will we, we will be content with that. What are the two things we should be content with? Food and clothing. Literally, that's where you start. You say, Pastor, what if I don't have a place to live? You could live with food and clothing. Even if you didn't have a house, you could start there. But if you did it God's way, you wouldn't be homeless very long. I talk to homeless people all the time, and I say, I used to be just like you in this sense. I don't know all their stories, but I say, I used to be homeless. I was on drugs. Here's how your life can change in six months. Get Jesus into your heart. Do what he says, and in six months, you'll be different. It happened for me. It will happen for them. It may be a different opportunity, but nonetheless, the Lord will put the ladders of success into their life. Not everything is easy. I'm not saying that, but how do we start? Food, clothing, let's go. 
Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Did the Bible say it's wrong to be successful? No, but it's wrong to look at it for the sake of riches. We have a generation now that wants to get rich but don't want to be helpful. They want to be famous, but they don't want to be generous. And so what they're doing is looking at all of these benefits. Oh, if I win American Idol, I have a million dollars. What are you going to do with it? Well, I'll buy a nice house. I'll do No, no, no. What do you want to do to change the world? If you seek success in the kingdom of God, he will give you all of these things that you need here. See, we seek first the kingdom of God and the success of his kingdom. Then we will have nice clothes and nice houses. But if we start off looking for nice houses, nice clothes, nice cars, we will fail. And what it says here we will do is fall into temptation. How many people, let's just be honest, come to this country saying, all I want to do is have money, provide for my family. And before you know it, they're cheating on their taxes. They're using their children's social security number to buy their homes. They're doing all of these things the wrong way to get wealthy instead of just coming, being successful, doing it right, and then having the blessings that come with it. Don't make rich your goal. Make being blessed your goal. Make being blessed and successful your mindset. Verse 10, here's a famous passage. For the love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And right now all the Republicans go, amen, that's exactly what Hillary Clinton's like. She's an evil person using her foundation to get all that money. Look how crooked Hillary is. And then all the Democrats go, yeah, look at Donald Trump. Look at him oppressing all these companies he's worked in, how he's always squashed the little guy. Hey! He's not talking about any of them. He's talking to you because these are the people eager for money in the congregation. He's saying, guys, some of you, some people here could be eager for money that you will pierce yourselves with many griefs and wander from the truth. So eager for money that when they tell you to work on Sunday, you will wander from the truth and start working on Sunday. So eager for money that when you know you should tithe, you don't tithe, and yet you never have enough. Come on, somebody. So eager for money that you begin cheating on your taxes, stealing from your employees, or stealing from your boss. And what is one of the biggest griefs that people face today? Debt, bills they can't pay overspending on their credit cards. Listen to me, parents, when it comes to Christmas. All you owe your children is food and clothing and a place to stay. That's all you owe them. You don't owe them the new latest Xbox, all of these things, because what that will become to you is a piercing in your heart and a grief if you can't afford it. Nothing wrong if you can afford it, but if you can't, it will become a grief to you. Now look at verse 17. Because sometimes the, the Bible, uh, people think the Bible is against wealth. No, look at what it says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in who? God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in what? Good deeds. To be rich in what? Good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. Well, I didn't think nobody was supposed to be rich in the church. I thought we we're all supposed to be broke, busted, and disgusted together. Because all we do is just give away everything. Now we're all poor. Hello? That's what people think about the church. Well, pastor, you guys have all this money. You should give it to me. If I gave to every person that, that wanted it, I wouldn't be able to pay my own light bills. Well, pastor, you shouldn't make 68000 You should only make 40000 If I did that, I couldn't take care of five kids. And who are you to judge me and what my five kids need? Hello. So what we need to do is work and earn a living and do what is just and fair. And those of us who become rich, those who have in this world riches, we don't judge them. This is what we say to them. Hey, don't be arrogant. 
Don't be arrogant. Um, don't be arrogant like the baseball players we pay to go watch them play, and they take all of our money and make them, uh, you know, $100 million off five years. Don't be arrogant like them. See how I kind of flipped that on you? Don't be arrogant like the basketball players that we pay. Don't be arrogant like the, the musicians that we play, uh, pay. Don't be arrogant like the movie stars we pay. Well, hold on. We don't really think problem with them, though, do we? See how I kind of tricked you there? We don't think they're arrogant. We don't think it's unfair for Brad Pitt to make $200 million off make-believe. But if a Christian in this church drives up in a Rolls Royce, everybody's going to hate on them? How do you know what they're about? What if the owner of Hobby Lobby starts coming to this church? Hobby Lobby's a billion-dollar business. Him buying a Rolls Royce is like you buying a pack of gum. Yet somebody here may judge them the wrong way. Say, you can't have that money. Why not? He's tithe, he's given offering, he's living successful. Who are you to tell him what he can and can't have? Do you want to go broke to help the poor? You go first. You go first. You go broke to help the poor. You go broke. You see, this mindset is a greedy, jealous mindset. But we also say then to the rich, don't you be arrogant coming around here, and I do mean it this time, don't act like you're better than us. Because in my mind, I am sick and tired of people getting a few of these and they think they're a better human being than the rest of us. Let me pop the, bo uh, the bubble for all of you. Everybody you see on TV, movies, entertainment, sports, and all of that are not better people than you. Just because they have more of this doesn't mean they're better than you. And when they talk about stuff that they don't know anything about, they're not smarter than you. Do you understand? When a basketball player comments on politics, or they don't know anything about what they're talking about, yet we run to them like they're wise. So we tell the rich, be rich in giving. Now, who is this for, this rich here in this context? This was 2,000 years ago. This is not to be gross, but to help you know the context. This is to people who use the bathroom and wipe themselves with their left hand. This is written in a context where there was no running water, some aqueducts, but not a lot of running water, no electricity. If you had two sets of clothes, you were doing well, and you should probably give one away to your neighbor. In a culture where most people lived only to 50 years old because of the sickness and disease, who do you think they may see today as rich if they were to come here? Hello. I think Paul might be looking at us going, hold on. You mean this is your third closet, ladies? <laughs> this is not just your first, your second. You mean this is the third closet you have in your basement? You know, hold on. This is your 20th pair of shoes? Oh, oh, you mean you have you have two of these motorized vehicles? You mean this box is a refrigerator for food? See, those of us who have traveled around the world understand what rich is, don't we? We're rich. And so God is even speaking this to us. And I know in comparison to what we call rich in our culture, where many of us are not. But here's the thing. We need to be rich in good deeds. You have enough to share and to do something with it. Now look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus' famous words here. No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now check this out in closing, please. 
when God set up for us here, Jesus, the, the, the dichotomy, which is the two things competing for your, your, your life, he didn't say God and the devil. He didn't say God and pride. He didn't say God and fame, God and power. What is the competing master that when Jesus was looking at an example that would show you the most dangerous, the most competitive, the most deceitful master that you and I could possibly be deceived by, what did he name that competing master as? Money. See how dangerous it is? Because money wants to convince you it's harmless if you love it. But what you need to do is treat money like a tool, not like a thing you love. I don't love my hammer. I use it. But the moment you start loving money, it will take control of your heart. But you need what's in your heart to take control of what's in your wallet. Everybody look at me, please, and close. Let's just do a quick example. In America, we have a dollar bill. And on that dollar bill, it says, in God, we have we been trusting in God or the dollar bill lately? How has it worked out for us? How has our master treated us? How has our master treated our inner city? We have enough money to solve all the problems of the inner city right now. We just keep giving it to sports, entertainment, uh, movie stars. We, we have enough to fix it. Do you know how much Grand Theft Auto, a video game for teenagers, teaching them to rob and carjack people sold in three days? Grand Theft Auto, you know how much it made in three days? One billion dollars. Young people through their parents' money and some adults working, young adults working, spent one billion dollars on a video, video game to teach them crime. Not all video games are bad, but are you hearing what I'm saying? Where, where, okay, so where did that lead them? Where did their master lead them? Where have those new pair of Jordans led them? Where has all of these rap musicians, specifically thinking of the inner city, where has it led us? And all of these greedy businesses, let's get a call, uh, you know, just out of the, uh, you know, the inner city. Where, where have all of these startup companies led us? Mark Zuckerberg worth $20, 30000000000 billion. Apple, $100 billion. Sometimes Apple on a quarterly report will sell more uh, and make more revenue than gas companies. I mean, all of this, where has it gotten us? More murder, more loneliness, more brokenness in our family. This has not connected me better to my wife. This phone in my pocket hasn't caused me to love my neighbor better. And so what God is telling us is your master, the money, will always fail you. Now, is it wrong to have money and God? No, but God over money. God over money. It's never the other way around or we'll pay a price for it. How many want to learn how to be a good financial steward? For your sake and for mine, I will summarize now the message. The notes are online, but here they are. Psalms 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Who owns this phone? Who owns the company that makes this phone? Who owns the people that use this phone? The Lord. Is it Mark Zuckerberg's? Is it Bill Gates? Is it Donald Trump's? Is it Obama? Is it America's? Who owns it? 
the Lord. So we better act like it's the Lord's, don't we? We need to treat it right. We need to be responsible for it. That's what financial stewardship is. It's the wise management of everything that God has entrusted to us. God entrusted you with the brain, didn't he? Manage it well. God entrusted you with hands and a, and a movable thumb. Use it well. God has given you a common sense and a conscious mind. Use it well. The Bible says he has given you the power to create wealth and make wealth. Look at what uh, capitalism has done in America, especially after World War II and the baby boomer generation. God can change our culture, but he has to do it through people who want him because he is not a slave master. He will not force himself on us. So can I just give those four principles to you quickly now in closing? Jerry, would you come please? Here they are. Be a tither. That sounds revolutionary, doesn't it? Give offering. Manage the rest well and overcome financial hardships. Now, some of you may want to hear more than that, but that's actually the biblical way of managing your money. Here it is. Four simple things. Number one, be a tither. Give 10% of your total income to God regularly. Number two, after you've given 10%, you have 90% left. Pray about what to give to God as an offering. Number three, manage. For me, offering may come up to about 5%, so I'll have 85% after my 100. Tithe 10, offering 5 Manage your rest well, and then overcome setbacks. Okay, now let's just think about that as we turn up Jerry just a little bit, please, and just play a little slower, more, more smoothly. Thank you. I want you to think about this. What does a tithe teach us about money? Because it's not for God in the sense like God needs our dollars. It's for the things God's doing on earth, yes, but God has heaven with streets of gold, can create whatever he wants. So there's got to be a purpose in this. What does it teach us? Well, I'll tell you from my life experience. I was born in a Christian businessman's home. He actually was a financial planner. And so when I got my allowance, I remember him teaching me as a small boy. He would say, Joe, this is a dollar. You've been good. You've done this. Now I want you to give 10 cents to Jesus today. Okay. Now, have I ever told you the story about the, the little boy and his little nickels? Have I ever told you about the little boy and nickels? Here it is, real quick. Grandma can't go to church, but every week she would go to church with her son, her grandson, give him some money to put in the offering. They would go out for ice cream. She was sick. She couldn't go. It's a small town. She sends little Johnny down to church by himself. She says, Johnny, here's your two nickels. Give one to Jesus in the offering. The other one, go get yourself an ice cream on the way home. He's going to church, and like any little kid, he's playing with his money. He's playing with his money. He's walking over the bridge, playing with his money. He drops one of the nickels, falls off into the bridge, into the water. He looks down, and he goes, Oh, there is Jesus' nickel. See, he made sure to keep his nickel. <laughs> Do you get the joke? See, Jesus' nickel fell into the water. And, and that's the way we think, right? But my, my dad never, never allowed me to think that way. You don't have a nickel without Jesus' nickel. Jesus always gets it first. And then I started mowing grass. And isn't it something that those who have biblical mindsets teach their kids to work at an early age? I was cutting, uh, making money, cutting grass, making money by the time I was eight or nine years old because I was understanding the value of money. And every time I got the money, my dad made sure. Joe, you know, Miss Brown down the road gave you $20. Here it is. What do you give God? This is me as an eight, nine-year-old. I give God $2, Dad. What does that teach me as a kid? It all belongs to him. Now, guess what? If I know to give that to God, then I'll know how to hear from God on how to save, 
how to prioritize, how to treat people fair. Do you see just what the tithe does as a lesson in your life? Let me give you a quick example. If I make about 68000 a year, what does that come out to about a month? Roughly about 6000 a month. Guess what I want right now? I want a boat. Hate to admit it, but I want one. I don't think it's greed. I think it's a need. And I'm trying to convince my wife to help let me get one. But what's a boat payment? A new boat, you get a nice boat, it's about four or $500. You're going to pay the insurance on it. What's the final cost? About $600. What's a tithe off $6,000? Boat or tithe? Boat or tithe? Don't act like you don't get tempted. Hello. Boat or tithe? See, what it teaches you is God goes before boat. And if I'm already thinking God goes before boat, then that teaches me the value of money. Generally, not always, but generally, those who are tithers will not go in debt because they understand the principle. If I'm giving to God, I also need to give to my savings. And if they're responsible to know, if I got a check here of 2000 from my job and 200 goes to the Lord, I better just take out that 200 else and put it in savings. A good principle is 10% God, 10% savings every single month, every single paycheck. See, Christians think that way because they're already knowing that 100% don't go to me. Now, some of you already know there's a middleman between you and that 100%, and that's called what? The government, and they don't ask for it, but God does. God willingly says, you give it back to me. It's up to you. What's your God? Let's read what a tithe is together on the count of three. One, two, three. The tithe was implied with Cain and Abel. Establishing the law of Moses is still relevant for today. It comes with a, it must be qualitative, a priority, a faithful practice in our lives. The tithe advances the kingdom of God, tests our maturity, breaks the attitude of greed through obedience, is mandated for all, and brings us into partnership with God and His church. Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the tithe into the church. Giving an offering regularly. What does this offering do for us? Once again, God could do it without us. God could just chip off some gold, create it, do whatever. But what does an offering do for us? It lets us sow seed. And it lets us go beyond the mandated amount. What is a tithe if, if you make a million dollars this year? What is your tithe this year if a million dollars? 100,000. What is your tithe if you made $10 this year? $1. Does God judge anyone differently on that? No, because it's a 10%. It's not an amount. The Bible says when you give like that, we're all giving with the same obedience. Isn't that wonderful? When you come to this church and you give your tithe, and let's say you're one of those just working hard middle class guys and you're just, you worked hard to make 50000 a year and this your paycheck is 1500 this week or whatever, and you put that $150 in there, your Father in heaven says, well done, my good and faithful servant. If there is a person in this church, let's say they make 100000 a year and that's about 10000 a month, and they come here and they just go, well, let me just give God $350. Which one walked away blessed and which one is cursed? See, the one who didn't give the tithe is cursed even though they gave more. Because what's a tithe off $10,000? Is it $350? What's a tithe off $10,000? $1,000. So you throwing in that $500, go, man, I look around this church. I bet you when I give $500, i am giving more than everybody else. And God is going, thief, robber. That's not your tithe. Little Johnny here that works at McDonald's, he's given a tithe. That 10% means a lot to him. You're a thief. 
See, God looks at the percentage. Isn't that something? But now with the offering, as we see with the widow, she gave all she had. And the Bible says she gave more than all the rich people in the church. Now we see an offering is whatever we freely give to God out of our hearts. And this is the idea that the generosity is set between you and the Lord. And let me just talk to you. If an offering has never scared you, you haven't heard from God on giving offerings. Because I know what it's like to hear from God on getting an offering. Because when I think about the missions, how we support here, and let me just tell you what an offering is, by the way. As you give to God, it's a missionary, it's a charity, it's anything that's run by the body of Christ, okay? So it's not United Way, it's not Red Cross. Those are just, those are good things to be generous in, but the, the biblical mindset is what God's people are doing. That's considered the offering, the seed that we sow in good ground. Now watch this. I don't know about you, but you can easily... Just, you know, hear a missionary, like our aviator missionaries in the Congo, and they say, well, I need this much money. And you could just be like my wife and I and go, okay, honey, what do you think? Okay, well, let's look at our savings. We got about 3000 in there. Let's give them 300 Let's give them 300 See, that's you and your wife deciding what an offering is. I just double-dog dare you to get on your knees and pray and ask what God says you should give. My friend was challenged by this one time by the Lord. The Lord said, I got an offering I want you to give to these missionaries. And, and the pastor said, I'm ready, Jesus, just tell me. He said, I didn't tell you. I told the two people sitting next to you, write them blank checks. Write them blank checks and let them give out of your bank account towards the missionary. He said it was the scariest thing he ever did. And he gave them those two blank checks because how much of it belongs to the Lord? He said they gave a pretty good amount. He said, but it was a blessing for him to be a part of that. See, it tested his heart. You better make sure you hear from God on that, amen. See, this is how we normally pray. We don't pray for offerings, though, do we? We pray for raises. And what you don't understand is that the offering is attached to your raise. Because when you and I pray for God to bless us, this is what we pray. God, I just got this new Honda, and it's a $400 car payment, Lord. And it's more than I thought, and now my job is cutting back. And dear Jesus, I need a raise, Lord. Dear Jesus, help us. Or else I'm going to get to have that car repossessed, Lord. We need you, Lord. That's how we pray. Instead of doing this, Lord, I just heard about the missionary in Congo and them doing the aviation work, and Lord, they need ten more thousand dollars. Lord, I pray you give me a raise. I pray you bless me, God, so that I can give more. You see the difference? One is my name is Jimmy, and I'll take all you can give me. The other one is I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm praying to what you can give through me. So when it comes to offerings, I go, God, blow my mind. I probably don't even have it in the bank account right now anyways. But if I start praying for it to come, I'll know when that raise comes. I'll know when that gift comes. I'll know when I get this deal back or whatever, this thing I'm trying to sell gets more money. I'll know that's your way of blessing me to be a blessing. Read this together with me. One, two, three. The offering is a... After the tithe and is given in a variety of ways, God said it should be generous seed with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offering obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure is. The Bible says give your offering, manage the rest. Let me just say this in closing, guys. I know we got to go. I'm running a little late, but it's, it's for your benefit. So let's say you've lived this life. 
you're giving faithfully a tithe to the Lord, you're letting them blow your mind about offerings, what are you going to do with the rest? You're going to be more faithful in what you're doing. How many are going to start praying about what house to move to? How many are going to pray about what they should spend on their clothes and their budget? When you look at the Christian website here that I have for you, Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey will give you all the wisdom a Christian should have when it comes to how you spend your money. But the thing is, you don't need to go to Dave Ramsey's website to get financial planning. If you start giving and asking the Lord to steward your money, he'll tell you what to do. I'll just, be, I'll just be honest with you. When I began to get into snowboarding, I began to realize, like, man, every time I drive out there, it's about $50 in gas. I got to pay $50 for the lift ticket. I eat a meal out there. It's another $25. So just for me to go snowboarding, it costs me about $125. The Lord convicted me about that and said, don't snowboard so much. You'll save and have it extra. What would you rather have, a moment of fun or a, a lifetime of savings? Is it okay to do both? But the Lord will teach you. Everybody say this with me on the count of three. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. Does this sound familiar? We read it today. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing inheritance for our children's children. All the believers were together and had everything in common, Acts 2, 44 through 45. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. How many of you have this in your heart? Lord, if you give me more, I'll do more. Does anybody have that in their heart today? Lord, if you give me more, I'll give more. How many have that? Because until you do, you can't ask for the blessings of the Lord. The moment you start saying, Lord, give me more and I'll give more. Lord, let me have more and I'll do more. Watch what God will do in your life. Lastly, what are some traps you think people fall into with money? Overspending, greed, laziness. What's the number one place a person should go if they don't have any money? What's the number one place they should go? To work. <laughs> right? Is this communist China? Are you chained to your job? Hello? You don't like your job, go get a new one. You want to move up in your company? Go get an education and take over the position of the person in front of you. You don't like AT&T? Invent a better cell phone company. You live in a free market society. This computer right here was started by a company that was in a garage. Not all people live in a world like this, my friend. Stop making excuses and falling for these traps. Don't be lazy. Don't be discouraged. Don't be greedy. I'm not saying we're all uh, here going to be billionaires. I'm just saying you can overcome setbacks. Just because you're down don't mean you're out. You ever heard of these small businesses? They're kind of small and rinky-dinky, and they, they do it God's way, and they're not really successful. But maybe you've heard of them. Hobby Lobby pays almost twice as much as the minimum wage without a government to force them to do it. Have you ever heard of that small clothing store called Forever 21? Kind of rinky-dinky, aren't they? You ever heard of that little small food chain? They sell chicken called what? Chick-fil-A? They're closed on Sundays, if you didn't know. Right? You ever heard of the one, maybe you haven't heard of this one, the best hamburger joint on the West Coast, In-N-Out Burger? Where do you think Christian businesses get their mindset from? Not the God of money, but from the God of the universe. 
You can be as successful as you can dream. You know how Hobby Lobby started? It started as a, as a guy, a young man, just wanting to make a little craft store in a storefront, a storefront smaller than this, about the size of our children's area, and built it into a multi-billion dollar business. I think it's the fifth richest person in Canada as a spirit-filled Christian right now. And he started from nothing. His dad was poor, got saved as an alcoholic, and he raised him in church. And he said, son, if I teach you about the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added unto you. And he literally started as the poorest person in his church and is now one of the top 10 richest billionaires in Canada. And you know what he does with his money? He builds private Pentecostal schools and makes sure the poor fill them up and get taught the things that you're hearing today. Sounds like God can do it again. Amen? Key points. Here's what we should overcome. Read it on count of three. One, two, three. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the Word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Here it is. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And how many of these things will be added to you? All these things. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's stand to our feet and give Jesus a hand clap. Thank you for your patience. Come on, amen. I want you to hear it summarized. Chris, a financial stewardship summarized is this. Make all you can, give all you can, save all you can. Isn't that pretty simple? Go out there in this world and be as successful as you can. Don't do it for the sake of money. Do it to be successful and a, a true leader. And make all that you can. Be the best that you can. Open up the new In-N-Out Burger. Start the new Hobby Lobby. Or be a new investor. Or be the greatest janitor on your job. My father-in-law is a janitor. And he's an awesome janitor. And he lives an amazing life because God blesses him. You may come and get this, sir. When we do what God says to do. Thank you, gentlemen. Both of you will lift it together now as we watch. There you go. Let's give it up for our second service team. Dancing the dance. You made it look so smooth. And now, ta-da, here I am. Altar workers, would you come, please? Let us close in prayer. Father, I know I was a bit long-winded talking about money today. But each one of us will probably put in about 40 to 50 hours this week if we're lucky. If, if we have a decent hourly job, if not, many of us will put in 50 to 60, maybe even 70 hours this week. And Lord, I hope that what was shared here today will benefit your people. Because it's God over money. God over money. It's God over money in my heart. Just say it out today. It's God over money. It's God over money. It's God over money in my heart. A few more times. It's God over money. It's God over money. It's God over money in my heart. One more time. It's God over money. It's God over money. It's God over money in my heart. 
Jesus. I want you to play that same thing just without this, please. I want all of us to think about what Jesus means to us. Without him, we would be nothing. And now just in your own words, just say, God, it's, it's you over money, Lord. It's you, Lord. Now before we go, do you need to repent for any kind of greed or any kind of mismanagement of finances in your life? If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I haven't been a tither, I haven't been faithful in offering, would you repent right now and get on track and be obedient to the Lord? If you have more questions, you can talk to us afterward, but truly see the joy of what God does in those commands. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor, I'm a tither, I'm a giver, I'm right there with you, but I, I don't manage the other part well. I kind of just say, God, I'll take it from here, and I've been blowing it lately. I've been going into debt or I've been mismanaging. Would you ask the Lord to come back into your checkbook? I mean that. I mean that with everything in me. I could keep you here for much more time just telling you some of my greatest failures with money. If you want to hear some of it, listen to the first service because God led me in a different direction in that service. But those two groups of people, could we repent with you today? We repented for the pastors. We repented for the self-centered churches. But let's repent today if you've not tithed, if you've not been faithful in offering, or if you've not let God manage the, the whole bulk of your finances. Just as Jerry sings that part, God over money, just you pray now. Just you pray now. Lord, check our hearts. Have we been doing it your way, Jesus? Help us, Lord, to be honest. It's not about our wants and desires today. It's about the kingdom. What did you say? What did you say we should do with this stuff called money? We'll submit it to you. Over money. It's God over money in my heart. It's God over money in my heart. It's God over money. Now just, I'm going to keep my eyes closed just because I don't want anybody to think I'm embarrassing them. I don't want you to feel ashamed in church. I know that we can feel that way sometimes. But would you just, all of us, just close your eyes. And just, if you're here today, though, I do want you to know I'm going to pray for you. If you're in debt and you're just at a place of discouragement, bringing the ends together, there's too much bill, not enough month, you know how it is. Would you just raise your hand as a sign of surrender to the Lord? I just want to shepherd you right now and just pray for you. Not to embarrass you. I've asked nobody to look around. But I, I'm going to keep my eyes closed. But I'm just going to believe that as you raise your hand as a sign of surrender, you're taking a step of faith saying, God, I need you to fix this. I'm not promising you a miracle cure. I'm not promising you if you give a church $1,000 today, your debt will go away. I just want to pray a real prayer that the grief will begin to be broken off of you, that you can give this burden to the Lord right now. Come on, just anybody here right now. Lord, you see the hands. And I pray right now they surrender this burden, God. I pray you give them wisdom. Maybe there's debt consolidation, a new job, or re-education, something they can do. But right now, Lord, the greatest thing they need is you to take the burden away, God. The pressure, the anxiety, the worry, Lord. Would you comfort their heart right now? 
Would you pour out your grace on them? Let them know you love them. Let them know, God, that you're not kicking them to the curb, treating them as a less than. You're, you're not against them today, Lord, because they are in this position. You're with them. You're for them. Meet, meet their need today, God, in Jesus' name. Now, all of us, let's just raise our hands together. Come on, and let's just surrender our lives to the Lord and dream big right now. 30 seconds. Ask the Lord for something bigger than you right now that has to do with finances in your job right now. Come on, just surrender to God and dream big. Come on, what do you want to do in this world? Some of you may be getting close to retirement. Okay, you're going to retire or refire. What's God going to do with you? Others of you, you may be young, starting your college career. Okay, come on, what do you want to do? Those of us here in the grind, you're already working. What you want? You guys say my vision and the church's vision right every week, 100,000, all this. Come on, say your vision. What is it? What's the Lord putting in your heart today? What's your biggest dream today? Come on, I want to agree with you in prayer. Lord, meet needs right now. Cause us to dream big, God, so that we can have more to do more, to be blessed, to be a blessing, Lord. Increase us, Lord. We're not seeking after to be rich for the money's sake. We want to be successful for kingdom's sake, for kingdom business. We want the kingdom of God to come to this earth as it is in heaven. We want to transfer the wealth from the wicked to the righteous, Lord. From the wicked to the righteous, Lord. Because we're not going to waste it on prostitutes. We're not going to waste it on drugs. We're not going to waste it on gold chains. We're not going to waste it on video games, God. We want to change the world with what you give us. Our family, to the community, to the church, to the world we live in. In Jesus' name, can I get a big amen? Amen. Amen. Let's get a great song ready, please. I want to have one of our precious sisters pray for us before we go. We know, you guys know how altar time goes. Please don't feel embarrassed if you have any financial needs. We'll love to pray with you about that. No embarrassment at all. But let me just tell you, this woman's so special. She's getting her Ph.D. in environmental anthropology. Yes. I got it right. Amen. And she's come all the way from Brazil. She does her schoolwork at UIC, correct? See, this is somebody that if you see now 20 years from now, you may be jealous, right? Like, I'm not saying we are jealous, but someone who doesn't know her, like, oh, look at her nice car. Look at her nice house. But did you know where she came from? Did you know where she started? See, we don't know people's story, do we? So why should we criticize their glory? See, in the church, don't criticize people's glory and the evidence of their blessings until you know their story. This is a generous woman here. So when it comes to grants, when she graduates and it comes to grants, I want her to get it. When it comes to PhD programs where they may call her back in to teach at a university and pay her $125 a year, $125,000, I want her to get it. But listen, if she married a pastor, became a missionary, and was a stay-at-home mom, I want her to do that too. Because it's not the dollar amount that's going to make her successful in my eyes or God's eyes. It's going to be her doing exactly what Jesus told her to do. And so that's what I want her to pray for all of us today. Is that all of us find our purpose and pursue it with passion. Find our purpose, pursue it with passion. Amen. Father. Uh, thank you for this word, God. Thank you for everything that you do for our lives. God, I pray today that everyone that is here, God, this afternoon, that they may 
may have their hearts got open to see your kingdom, to see the good things that your kingdom has to offer, God. There are so many issues in this world, God, and we can be part of this to help, to reach the poor, God, to help in our community, in our neighborhood, and even in our own family, God. Let, let, let us, God, to open our hearts, God, to see uh, our, the environment we are surrounded. It might be, God, in our work, in our family. Let us, God, have this heart to pursue our dreams, to pursue, God, your plans, your call that you have for our lives, God. It might be in the ministry, God. It might be in our finances, God. Help us, teach us, God, how to manage our money, God. We spend money, God, in so worthless things, God. But you have so much knowledge. So teach us, God, to go forward, to help, God, to reach uh, the unreachable, God. Uh, pray, God, today that you're going to fill our hearts, God, with your Holy Spirit. And through your Holy Spirit, God, we're going to have this passion in our heart, God, to pursue, to uh, listen what you have, God, for us. I pray that, God, you're going to bless our families. Help us out also, God, to teach their kids, God, in a way your word says to teach them. And they want, God, look to their left, to their right, but they're going to walk forward your presence, God. So I pray, teach us, God, to be this steward, God, that you want us to be, God. Let us to have stewardship in our lives, in everything that we do, God. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say, be blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for coming. If you need prayer, come on up. Otherwise, we will see you at Life Groups. Amen. Let's put up these words for those who want to join the after party. We'll worship and pray. Nothing impossible. is impossible. You're the God of miracles. If you want to worship or pray, feel free to do so. Otherwise, we'll see you at Life Groups. God of miracles, come. We need your super natural love to break through nothing's impossible you're the God of miracles come on sing it a few more times and believe God to do something great in your life today oh God God of miracles come we need your super Natural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. One more time, then let's sing the verses, please. God of miracles, come. Yes, God of miracles, come. We need you, God. My family needs you. The families of this church need you, financially, spiritually. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Amen. Sing that verse for us, please, today about God and His faithfulness. Thank you, Lord. Let faith arise.
to stop playing, sing it a cappella. Sing this part that you were singing with the band, and then we'll put on a worship song. But I want us to sing this verse. Let faith arise. In spite of what I see, Lord, I believe. But help my unbelief. I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let faith arise. Now, we're going to sing this again a cappella from the top, but hear those beautiful words. Sounds like heaven, doesn't it? And believe today that this also applies to finances. So often we as Christians don't think that this applies to our life. You know, we, we, we know we're spiritual. We love God. We don't want to love money. And I think we can swing to the other extreme where we don't know how to really believe for the money, the finances, to do great things. And if we want to be successful, we got to have both. We've got to have our, our piety, our spirituality, and we do need the material things of this world. Jesus never had problems with money. Jesus had a money bag that was carried around by Judas. That's why he could steal from it. They used it to feed the poor. He, he never had an issue with it because it wasn't his God, right? And so we shouldn't have, it, have an issue with having bank accounts and successful things we do with our homes and, and our cars and our businesses. But we need that faith to arise sometimes, right? We get intimidated by our goals. I know I do. A bigger church, 100,000 disciples, you know, you may want to start a new business or, or, or become a manager on your business. And we can become so easily intimidated to start a new job or go back to school. And so let us pray this, uh, sing this worship song as our prayer. Like, let faith arise. You ready? Let faith arise in spite of what I see. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief, I choose to trust you. No matter what I feel, let faith arise, let faith arise. For my champion's not dead, he is alive. And he already knows my every need. Surely he will come and rescue me. Now play that chorus. There we go. Put up the words for us, please. We'll sing the chorus now. In closing, just a few more times. Brother, would you put the chorus for us up? Miracles come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. You're the God of miracles. Just a few more times. God of miracles come. God of miracles come. We need more time after party. Come on, do you believe it today? God of miracles come. God of miracles come. We need your supernatural love to break through. Nothing's impossible. 
put on an altar song now as we get ready to. Lord, just once again, bless this after party, those who stayed. And Lord, uh, especially those that are uh, having children, getting married. I know um, I know that uh, Josh and Cecily getting married soon and Nandri and uh, Augustine just got married. Lord, and the children that I've had and, and, and Tony and, and uh, Jerry wanting new children and some of these young people going to school. God, I just pray for new beginnings, blessings to come through new beginnings that you'll provide, Lord, that where you guide, you will provide. And all of these things that we, we know we need, God, that you will bring in your perfect timing, Lord. Things that you placed in my heart, some of those things I had to wait five, ten, even further more years to see happen, Lord. I remember I wanted a backyard. And I had to wait almost uh, seven years for that. And uh, Lord, then I wanted the ability for my wife to be a stay-at-home mom and to raise our kids. And that took a long time. And Lord, these things, they take time. And I pray we'll be faithful. Be faithful so that you can make us fruitful. In Jesus' name. Amen. After party. Come on, give it up for the Lord after party. Amen. Thank you. Brother, go ahead and put up that song. Thank you.